Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on The Basic Podcast, where you can hear all of our latest messages, interviews, and more. Basic is a college and young adult ministry focused on uniting people to join in Jesus' work. To keep up with what's happening in our community, take a moment to follow us at Basic Worship or explore our website, basicworship.org. We hope you enjoy this episode of our podcast and that it helps you take a next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. My name is Jesse. I, uh, I'm on staff here at Orchard, and I lead up at the Waverly campus. And gosh, it's, it's good to be with you. It's always a privilege to come and to teach at Basic and to just to spend some time with you all. So uh, thank you for having me. Um, you know, I, I have the topic of disagreement. I had the chance and the opportunity. This, this is a passion that I'm at, or a topic that I'm actually really, really passionate about. Um, I had the chance to teach on this back in January in a different series that we did. And um, I went back and listened to that teaching. Uh, and I would say, like, if you're passionate about this, you might, you might want to check that one out also because, uh, I mean, it was pretty good. <laughs> but uh, um, so they invited me to come back, and I said, you know, I have it's such a big topic, disagreement. So I told Carter, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to write a whole new teaching for this one and, and just because uh, there's just there's so much to do. And so much to say about it. Now, since my, my, you know, my topic is disagreement, and um, so I'm going to start off by just saying I'm going to disagree with Carter right now. I am going to tell you who to vote for. And uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. Carter, by the way, I just have to say thanks to Carter because uh, I, I feel like I need to call him out because he was like, he, I, I was emailing him things sort of last minute today, and he is, uh, he, he's incredible. Uh, when I think about Carter, I think about a duck because, you know, ducks... <laughs> Ducks, like on the surface, they're pretty cool, calm, and collected, but underneath their feet are like going like crazy, you know, in the water. So um, let's give Carter a round of applause. So thank you, Carter. I can't see you, but thank you. So yeah, there, I mean, this House United series, right? And the passion and energy behind this and the thinking behind this comes from the fact that we've got this pretty divisive um, sort of cultural climate, political climate. And it's not just in politics, it's in the church too, but, but we've got this pretty divisive uh, climate around us. And yet on the other hand, we've also got this, this prayer uh, for unity that Jesus prays for his followers. So you've got a divisive climate and you've got this prayer for unity. And so my particular teaching, like I said, it's about disagreement. And, and, uh, and, and so the question is, like, how can we pursue being united when we have disagreements? Is, is that possible? You think about this, or does disagreement undermine unity somehow? Just think about that for a second. Like, if it is possible to have disagreement and unity, like, how can followers of Jesus not just be about that, like, in the church, you know, like, when, when kind of we gather as Christians, but how can we work for unity, and how can we do this Jesus prayer for unity as we spread out and go out about our lives, just our daily lives and in the public arena? I mean, today, we, we have so many disagreements with, with people, so many different kinds of different disagreements, so many different kinds of people, like maybe your boss, your roommate, a professor, a coach, um, you know, maybe your siblings or your parents, friends, co-workers. You can disagree with all different kinds of people. And we can also disagree about so many different kinds of things. So like money, guns, you know, face mask, immigration, where to set the thermostat, Right? You can also like pets and religion and sexuality and climate change and how and when to clean the apartment. Has anybody ever had this? 
disagreement with some of you or to clean your dorm room. Like we can have so many disagreements and yet there's also so many, so many layers to disagreement. There's a lot of layers to disagreement. So just a few weeks ago, I was talking to a friend. This is, you know, we're talking to a friend and she, she, we started talking about this other friend um, that we have, a mutual friend. And, and now my friend that I was talking to, she said she, that she just found out that this other gal she, we were talking about, she said, I found out that uh, we disagreed on this certain issue. And I said, okay. And she said, yeah. You know, I used to think that she was such a caring and compassionate person. And I was like, wait a second. You mean like you hung out with this person, you saw her in action, you saw the way she treated other people, and for a long time you've thought of her as a caring and compassionate person, but now all of a sudden that you know that you disagree on this one particular issue, like that's up in the air? Like she's not a caring and compassionate person anymore because of that? Like what is the standard for caring and compassionate? Is it like agreement with your issue? Or does it, does it, does like one particular issue tip the scales for you? Does one particular issue tip, tip the scales for you? And there's also been a lot of disagreement during this whole COVID pandemic thing. This COVID pandemic, you know, like how to protect ourselves, how to care for our communities, what precautions we ought to be taking. And so I, I meet with pastors on every week. There's a group of pastors that meet. We talk about this. And one day on one of the calls, one of the pastors, he said, like, if you love Jesus, then you'll wear a face mask as soon as you leave the house. And I was like, wow. Wow. So like if I'm playing with my kids in my yard and not wearing my face mask, then I don't love Jesus. I mean, we, we might disagree on that. You see, and here's the problem, is that we have standards, people have standards for these things, right? And standards are a good thing to have, but the problem is that sometimes standards change from person to person, and sometimes the priorities for which standard is prioritized, these change from season to season. And so there was one theologian, he, he wrote about how like we're in this particular period right now. And he said the particular period, the culture that we're in, he said it's, it's sort of marked by three things. One is secularism, which is like separating religious and public life, separating these things out. Another one is individualism, which is a focus on individual over community. And the third one of these is consumerism. So somehow we are connected intimately with the stuff that we have. And he says this. He says that in our culture, he says, people no longer know where responsible social passion comes from and why caring is important or how the disciples of faith matter or why. This is what he says. So basically what we're seeing, so basically what we're seeing is that the prevailing prioritized have been individualized, monetized, and secularized. And yet we complain when things get politicized, but that's what we've strategized because our government has been centralized as the hero to stabilize our lives for us. You see what I'm saying? This is the water that we swim in. And I'm not trying to be anti-culture because there's a lot of good things about our culture these days. But regarding these three movements, it can be hard for followers of Jesus to engage and to know how to engage because in a secular culture, it can be confusing for those of us who do value faith. And, and in an individualistic culture, it can, it can be lonely for those of us who value community, can it not? And in a consumer culture, for those of us, it can be awkward for those of us who value stewardship. Sometimes we can feel like we're getting taken advantage of. And so what he's saying is we've lost this common ground for compassion. And in its place, we try to put government which is working, the government is also working through like all, so many uh, different 
collections of narratives. You know, the government's got to take all these narratives and sort of put them together. And in the meantime, we hope for media to tell us what's going on so that we can stay engaged. But their updates are always filtered and sifted and interpreted. And so we just keep getting someone else's version of the whole story. And we just keep getting more and more narrative. And narratives are great sometimes. Like narratives, they can be comforting sometimes. But narratives can also hold us captive sometimes. And Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And so that's what I came to say tonight. This is what I came to say tonight. Is that I believe as followers of Jesus, disagreement is an opportunity to expand the narrative by pursuing the truth of Christ. Disagreement is an opportunity to expand the narrative by pursuing the truth of Christ. So we're going to look at a man who did just that. His name was Paul. We're going to be reading about a time when he jumped right into an opportunity for disagreement. So if you did bring a Bible, if you've got your phone, feel free to turn to Acts chapter 17. We're going to start up in verse 16. I'm going to give a second because I see a couple of you turn in there. But Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Just to let you know, the, 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 the words are also going to be on the screen. But uh, we'll sort of read. And what I like to do when I, when I read is to, we're going to read a few verses, and then we're going to stop, and we're going to reflect on those verses. Then we'll read a few more and stop and reflect, and, and so on and so on. So I'll give you a, a quick second here, maybe while I grab a drink of water, and then we'll, we'll continue. So Acts chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 16. It says this. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked him, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of their Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know more what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Wouldn't that be a great job? You just sit around and talk about and listen to the latest ideas. That's pretty fantastic. So just a little bit of background on what's going on here. So, so Paul was a traveling missionary. He just basically traveled around and told people about Jesus. Now, as a younger man, if you don't know the history of Paul, as a younger man, he hated and hunted Christians. I mean, he was after them. But one day he was walking down the road and he had this encounter with Jesus and it absolutely wrecked him. It wrecked him. And he became a totally different man. Years later, all, like, all he wanted to do then was travel around and tell people about Jesus. This was his life calling. This is his, like his calling from God. And so right before this moment here, if you go back just a few paragraphs or a few verses, if you go back, he was in another town where he was telling people about Jesus, and this mob had gathered around him and like chased him out of town. So he left that town. He went to another town. And he started telling those people about Jesus, and the mob, the first mob, came and found him at that town. They kept on chasing him. And so he finally got to Athens. He finally got to Athens where he was going to start talking with people there. 
Now, Athens, you guys know Athens, Greece, it was like this center for culture and learning. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity to engage people in a place like this with, with the message of Jesus. And in this passage here, we even see there's going to be like three other, at least three other worldviews that he's like encountering. There's going to be the Jews, the Epicureans, the Stoics, and maybe some others. And so in talking about Jesus, he's going to be disagreeing with them and with their worldviews. Now, I imagine, here's what I'm imagining, that Paul probably knew this when he was going up, and I'm just trying to picture him walking up to the city of Athens, anticipating what he's going to have the opportunity to say and to share and what he's going to encounter there. Now, I don't know if he planned this really well, but just reading how he interacts with people, how he disagrees with people, I want to point out a couple things that he did that I think are pretty cool. The first thing is this. He understood the context of his disagreement. He understood the context of the disagreement. This is the why. You see, like, you take a guy who's just been chased out of town twice by a mob. I mean, Paul's been through it all, and he keeps going in. To understand the context of the disagreement, you have to understand why am I continuing to do this? Why am I still going in for this conversation? Is it worth it? For Paul, it was. For Paul, it was absolutely worth it to keep talking about Jesus. And when we're in the midst of disagreement, it's good to know the context of the disagreement. Like, what are we trying to accomplish? Is it really worth it? Am I talking to the right person? Am I talking at the right time? Is this the right place? How is this disagreement affecting me? Did you notice what it said about, about Paul right away? He said he, he walked around the town and he was greatly distressed. So this was causing him some, some kind of anxiety. And you have to be aware of that in yourself. It's important to know how the whole thing is, is impacting you and how it's impacting others, understanding the context of the disagreement. The second thing he understands is, is the content. Paul knew his stuff well. He knew his stuff well. He knew he was talking about a resurrected Jesus. This is a, this is a dead man who came back to life because he is God. And to some, that's going to be a hard sell, Right? But Paul, he was confident this happened. He reasoned from scriptures. He saw it happen. And he said, I know this message has the power to change your life. He knew his content. But he also understood the other people's content too. He knew it because he went around town and he studied them before he ever engaged what they were going to say. And so the question is, what am I saying? When you're in a disagreement, what, what am I saying? And what are they saying? What's the content of our disagreement? And what impact is that having on us? It's good if we're in disagreement to understand the context and the content of our disagreement. So let's keep reading from Paul, and we'll see how he puts this into play. We'll keep going. Read, start in verse 22. 22. Here we go. This is what Paul goes on to say. Remember, they invited him into the Areopagus where everybody's sitting around listening to ideas, which just seems like a great thing. It's kind of like I'm, I'm, never mind, I won't even say that out loud. Okay, I was going to say, it kind of sounds like a circle of moms who get together. My wife says, you know, I really don't like mom groups. Anyway, I was not in my notes. It says this, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I'm sure it went something like that, he said, I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walk around and look carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant 
of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Paul's going to fill in the dots, right? He's going to fill in the blank. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he gives he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations and they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. He said, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets know, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent means to turn, to turn. He commands all people to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Raising him from the dead. This is Paul's speech when he's invited into this mom's group. <laughs> you know, oftentimes we see disagreement as like a fight, a flight, or a freeze. A fight, a flight, or a freeze. Like either we want to fight in this disagreement and win the argument, or else we want to flight, we want to run away because it's like uncomfortable or for some other reason. Other times we just like freeze up because we kind of get caught off guard maybe. We're not sure what to do. But let's look at how Paul handled this. Watch how Paul handled this. Notice that he went onto their turf. He was surrounded by their people and they let him present his side of the story. And like if we look back at the speech he gave, he went point by point. Paul was making connections with his audience the whole time. Like he spoke their language. He's using familiar thought forms. He's, he's speaking in familiar ways that they can know. And he didn't come with accusations, like even the point about he called them ignorant at one time. But even that, he's, he's totally right because that's what was written on the statue. So he's not making accusations. He's just giving them what they've given him. Paul connected with them. He even quoted their poets and philosophers to make this deeper connection. This is a brilliant way to disagree, to make connections. You see, and Paul's not looking for the win because he recognized that the win is the we, actually. He went to them to help them turn to God with him. That was the win for him. The win is the we. He's not against them. He's not afraid of them. And he's not apathetic to them either. He's working for the win and the win is the we. And he's truly looking to win them over and open them up to the spirit of God in their lives. You know, so I worked at Orchard Hill or before at a church before I worked at Orchard Hill. I'm sorry. I went to a meeting one time and we had this board meeting and there's a bunch of great guys in the room. And uh, um, I found out in that moment that I was, uh, I was the only one who thought differently on this one particular point. It was kind of an awkward meeting, but they were all very gracious and, and we got through it okay. But a couple, a couple days later, one of the guys called me and he said, can I come talk to you? And I said, sure. And so he came over and he said, you know, uh, this is pretty an important thing and uh, I still disagree with you. And we talked about that, why we disagree and all these sorts of things. And then he said something that I will never forget. He says, you know what, this is important, but I love you and I'm with you in this. When he said, I'm with you, it's another way of saying like, we're in this together. 
And I have never had an interaction like that before or since. That is the best way I've ever seen anybody disagree in an argument or in a disagreement. You see, the win is the we. And that's something that I learned from my friend that day. So Paul, he presented his case that day. We're going to keep going. Let's keep reading. We only got a couple verses left and then we'll, and we'll finish up. They said this. They said, when they heard about the resurrection, so Paul has talked to all these guys. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and they believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, another woman, Demarius, and a number of others. And so Paul finished up. He presented his case. The whole time, he's being very, very respectful. Some people heard and believed. Some people sneered. You know, Paul didn't go after that. He was okay with that. Here's the key phrase, though. Here's the key phrase that I want us to catch on this. They said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Did you catch that? We want to hear you again on this subject. Paul went in there and disagreed with all of them. And he got an invitation back to speak again. How cool is that? He left with an open invitation. Some days today, it seems like we look for the mic drop or the I gotcha. Paul had a different plan. He went in and he left with an invitation to come back. What if we disagreed like that? so that we could leave with an invitation to come back. You know, in, in this climate that we're in of disagreement, an invitation, that's a critical, critical thing. And what a cool thing it is. It's a chance to open up and share again. It's almost like they're inviting him into a conversation about this topic that he was bringing, and they were open to that, to having more conversation. There's a researcher, her name's Sherry Turkle. She wrote a book called Reclaiming Conversation. I highly recommend it if you haven't read it already. And she says this, she says, face-to-face conversation, it's the most human and humanizing thing that we can do. Fully present to one another, we learn to listen. It's where we develop the capacity for empathy. It's where we experience the joy of being heard and of being understood. And conversation advances self-reflection. Conversation. It's good for us. And so many of you know this because maybe you're in a life group. Maybe you're gonna go on Tuesdays and meet with the group that Carter was talking about. Such a fantastic way to be in conversation with other people. Conversation. It helps us to develop empathy for other people, to learn compassion and caring, learn how to listen to each other. Such a fantastic thing, such a fantastic thing to have an invitation into conversation. Now, one thing I do want to come back to is when Jesus said, the truth will set you free. You know, I said early on in the teaching, we talk about the truth, and Jesus said, the truth will set you free. But the line is this, the whole line is this. He says this, if you, hold, he's talking to his disciples, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, then you, and you hold on to my teaching, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's not just this exchange of ideas or this exchange of narratives that set us free. 
Unity is not just some sort of idea that we come to. It's that we're holding on to Jesus' teachings as we interact with each other in conversation, in disagreement, in public discourse, whatever it might be. We expand the narrative, pursue the truth of Christ, and experience the freedom in disagreement by holding on to the teachings of Jesus as we interact. That's where we get set free. And you say, so how do we do that? Well, Paul gives us an example. He gives three things. He says, we understand the context and content, like understand yourself, understand others. He says, the win is the we, work like Paul, work towards unity, bring them onto your team. Also, he says, also we know that respect gets you the invite, like hold on to the teachings of Jesus as we interact and opens up conversation, opens up opportunities for empathy. And we say, but wait a minute, that all sounds really nice. But let's be honest, Sometimes we lose the context and content and we just end up in emotional mess, sometimes, in disagreement especially. Sometimes it doesn't end in we. <laughs> and maybe that's for the better, sometimes. And sometimes we get into situations that aren't very respectful and you say, well, what do we do then? Here's something interesting. I said part of the heartbeat behind this series is this prayer in John chapter 17. Now, when I went back and read Jesus' prayer in John 17, I noticed that Jesus prayed five times for unity. He also prayed five times for something else. Does anybody know what it is? He also prayed five times for God to watch over and protect his followers. This is what Jesus says. He says, Holy Father, do we have this one? He said, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. It's almost like if we're going to experience unity, we need to have God's protection, John 17, 11. And you say, why is that? Paul was a traveling missionary, which comes with some, you know, some goods and some pros and some cons. It means he got to go to and from places. Sometimes it's nice to be able to walk away, but sometimes we don't get to come and go. What happens when we feel stuck with the people that we're around? Maybe it's in a class. Maybe it's in our residence hall. Maybe it's in an apartment complex. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's on a team or at church or in our family or in our neighborhood. What happens then? What happens then in disagreement? Well, this is what Paul wrote to another church of his. He wrote these words. He said, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Sometimes unity is about bearing with each other, which is also known as forbearance. And forbearance can be scary. And it requires protection from God to pray for protection. As one author, he wrote this. He said, forbearance... It's less a momentary ceasefire. You know, it's not just stopping your, your, your bullets from flying, if you will. It's less a momentary ceasefire than an active concern for one another. Active concern. Living with the productive discomfort of difference as a reflection of the grace of God. I want to leave you with two thoughts. I want you to think about these two things. Active concern and productive discomfort active concern and productive discomfort. 
We've got a video that's going to play. This is our student ministry, our worship team, and they recorded a song that's going to be a great song for reflection. But as you're listening to these words, you know, you can listen to this song, but also think about where in your life right now, maybe you're already doing it. Maybe it's a place where you need this encouragement, active concern and productive discomfort. I'm going to pray and then we'll listen to this song. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for the way that you protect us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you do forgive us, God, because we need that encouragement in order to sometimes be able to forgive other people. Lord, I know that in this divisive culture that we've talked about, it, it can be hard to sometimes have conversations. Pray that you would just watch over us. Give us your love. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your wisdom so that we know how it is that we can continue to have these conversations. God, it, it is peaceful to know that you are watching over us, to know that you love us, that you care us, and that you sent your son so that we could have forgiveness and just extend that forgiveness to others with whom we disagree. Father, let us also be open to the idea that sometimes our minds and our hearts need to change as well. God, give us grace and wisdom to know these things. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.
So disagreement. Jesse had some incredible insight um, from scripture, from his own experience, from other people's experiences about how to disagree well with others. And I bet when you leave here and tomorrow and in the weekend, you're going to disagree with someone on something. And as it relates to politics, what do you do when you go home at Thanksgiving break for like two months and inevitably politics gets brought up at the dinner table? What do you do? Fight? Flight? Freeze? Or do you try and engage in some kind of conversation that finds common ground in a place where you can say, mom, dad, brother, crazy uncle Benny, I disagree with you, but I love you and I'm with you. So maybe you need to take uh, this podcast and save it or send it to your family before you come home and say, hey, listen to this so that when we sit down and talk, we can try and do this because it's okay to have different ideas and different beliefs. But what common ground do we have? And can that be the thing that unites us and leads us? So I'm excited next week. Um, very dear friend of mine, mentor, uh, Pastor Kevin Jones, he leads a church in Mason City. He's going to be coming here to teach in week two. And he's going to be talking about the kingdom of God. Um, this idea of living in the world, but not being of the world.